Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster Dean Linky. Uniting coaches at every level of the game around the love of the game. We are United Soccer Coaches. Now, here's our host, Dean Linky. Hello, everybody. Thanks for being with us for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Truly believe we have another great show for you today. Up first, after 44 years as a college head coach, College of Charleston's top man, Ralph Lundy, has announced this is his final year. Last week, they named the College of Charleston soccer field Lundy Field. Today, he talks about retirement and some of his great moments in the game. We lost another great one this past week. Former NC State men's soccer coach George Tarantini passed away at age 70. One of his all-time greats, Henry Gutierrez, who is an NC NCFC staff coach, head coach of the U11, U12, pre-DA South, and director of internal and external scouting for the DA program, will come on to talk about the legacy of George Tarantini. After Henry, Brian Mazenoff, former college player of the year at Indiana, great run with the Columbus crew. He has an Olympics and a World Cup in his resume as a player. He is now in his second season coaching the Ohio State men. We walk through his entire path following Brian, United Soccer Coaches loves its partnership with Coaches, Inc. Gary Rosenfield, an agent and lawyer with Coaches, Inc., returns to the program to talk about a very special professional development workshop that will take place as a kickoff to the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. It will take place January 15 and you will want to be a part of it after Mr. Rosenfield breaks it down. And finally, two more members of our United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30 crew, Sam Green, she's an assistant coach with the UCLA women's soccer team and Bath Long coaching in the Boston area. And we start with Ralph Lundy after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Still managing your club or league on paper and spreadsheets? Go paperless with Team Snap. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, they have way fewer paper cuts. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to find out more. Now, once again, here's your host, Dean Linky. This is the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, and as I told you just a second ago, we've got a massive show, and we begin with a living legend, Ralph Lundy, his 33rd year as the head coach of the College of Charleston Cougars, 44th year overall. He's already announced that this will be his last year. They've already named the field appropriately Lundy Field at the College of Charleston, which is well-deserved. You're talking about a guy who's won over 450 games, and he's done it with class. Ralph Lundy joins me to start the show. Ralph, great to be with you. Good morning. Good morning. Ralph, it's hard to do anything for 44 years. You've done it with integrity. How hard is it to know that uh, this is the end for you? Oh, it's difficult. Uh, It's difficult. But it was time. So uh, it was time to pass it on to someone else. And, uh, but, man, have I been blessed. I really have. Um, actually, I was two years as an assistant coach, so it, it would be 46 falls as a college coach. So if you can imagine, Dean, uh, every morning when I woke up, I knew what I loved to do, and I knew what I was going to do. That's so well said. 46 amazing years uh, when you throw in those two years as assistant coach. Ralph, you've had some special moments. What are two or three that come to mind immediately during your time at the College of Charleston? One great, great moment was in my second year here, we were still NAIA. And I was trying to really elevate the program. I had, I had pretty good support. The president then was was uh, 
a man named Harry Lightsey who was brilliant, and he wanted to take the college to Division One. So the first two years, 87 and 88, I scheduled Wake. Walt was Walt Cheswitz was the coach at Wake, and he played me and Duke John Rennie and South Carolina Mark Burson and actually Ibrahim, Coach Ibrahim at Clemson played me. But the real jewel was somehow, I believe it was Dennis Grace. I had known him, coach at Notre Dame. He didn't have anywhere to go for the fall break. So in the late fall of 87, I was able to talk him into coming to Charleston. He had been in South Carolina's assistant at Clemson, so he knew Charleston was a great place, great destination. And I got the Hibernian Society of Charleston to to pay for everything for five days once they landed. So we had a big festival, a big day. We had 3,000 people, and we beat them two to one. And uh, they were ranked in the top ten. That was fall 88. Wow. And that really made everybody in Charleston believe that we could do it, that we could go Division One, we could beat the big teams. And it really, my president was so happy because the Hibernian Society in Charleston is a uh, is a wonderful society that that uh, has the ability to support all kind of great endeavors. So that was a big big day, uh, and it made the program different. Uh, we went two years after that uh, in the uh, emerging status, and then the next year we were Division One. So. Eighty nine, ninety, we were, we were in that status where you don't play for any championship. Ninety one, we were Division one, and then of course ninety four, we made a run to the final eight. Got beat at UCLA by Siggy Schmidt, and I'll tell you, every coach that I've mentioned have been tremendous coaches for for our organization, United Soccer coaches. Many of them have had uh, positions of responsibility and leadership. That year in 94, Sinky beat us in the last minute at UCLA in the final eight. He went to the final four. In the Sweet 16, we played at NC State, and uh, we were able to win in overtime against my great friend and amazing person, George Tarantini. So those are two dates that were real big in the history of College of Charleston soccer. And we'll have more with you on George Tarantini as Henry Gutierrez is our next guest as uh, George left us way too early at just 70 years old. I want to remind everybody that Ralph began his coaching career at Erskine College in 1976. Over 11 years, he compiled a 131, 71, and 13 record with 10 winning seasons. He led the Flying Fleet to seven district titles and three NAIA national tournaments. Lundy was inducted into the Erskine Athletics Hall of Fame and an annual soccer award is given in his honor. Ralph is from the state of North Carolina. Obviously, he's lived in South Carolina for a long time. He was a three-sport athlete at Western Carolina. Beautiful, beautiful campus, beautiful part of the state where he competed in soccer, wrestling, and baseball for the Catamounts. He helped a team that compiled a 1-6-1 record in its inaugural season to an 8-2 record in 1970 and a trip to the NAIA District 5 playoffs. 
He served as co-captain of the team in 71 and led the Catamounts to a 7-2-2 and performance. He graduated with a bachelor's degree in physical education in 72. Went to the Marine Corps for a couple years, and then he spent two seasons at Brevard College, even before going to Western Carolina, where he played baseball and soccer. No surprise, he was enshrined in both the Brevard College and Western Carolina halls of fame. And Ralph has got three children, Harper, Ralphie, and Letty. And you had Ralphie play with you 2009 to 2012. What was that like? It was tremendous. It was something that every dad would want to share with his son. Um, highlight of those four years, we went to the NCAA tournament second round in uh, 2010. Uh, in 2012, Stanford came here Ralphie's senior year. And, uh, he scored two goals, and we beat him 2-1. And that was Jeremy's first year there. But they were still so so tough. Uh, actually, we went back out to California, and they beat us pretty good out there. But that game was a big night because uh, he was a senior, and he led the team. So that was something that he and I were able to share, and uh, it was it was tremendous. So tremendous. that, that night, that game, we had three thousand people at the stadium, and and uh, that'll be forever in our memory. Speaking of tremendous, when you look at your run from two thousand two to two thousand ten, which included your son, I mean, the, the records are incredible. 11 wins, 13 wins, 17 wins, 9 wins, 10 wins, 13, 11, 11, 11. That was a great run. What do you remember about the core of those teams? Who were the, the superstars of that great run? Particularly when you look at what you did from 2007 to 2010, you won 11 games in three of those years and 13 in the other year. Well, there, there were two periods of runs. One was the uh, 90 uh, 93 to 97, and that was three NCAA tournaments in the final eight. And then the run in the, in the uh, 2000s, the description you just gave of that run. But what I did was I was able to get some real solid local kids. And then I integrated that with, uh, some great players from Trinidad. And I had Trinidadian players on my teams from 78 until 2018, excuse me, 2017. So I always had great young men from Trinidad. But the composition of that team, I had some great players from Atlanta on both those teams too. But I was very fortunate, and, uh, you know, recruiting is a inexact science. You try to make it a science, but uh, you don't know. You try to know. <laughs> but anyway, both those periods, I just had great players who loved the game, loved the train, which I did. I loved the train. I loved practice. And uh, those guys knew that what we were doing made them better, made our teams better, and they committed to it. Uh, you play the way you train, and that was the – pretty much the motto, very competitive environments with great young men. They made me a great coach, these young men that played for me during both those periods. And uh, Saturday night we had the field dedication, and so many of them came back, and that was uh, 
that was just so rewarding for me to see all these great guys that have played for me in Charleston for 33 years. Had had guys from the very first team in 1987 all the way through for the 33 years, and man, was that something. There, there were probably, I'd say, uh, well, there was a huge number. I can't say exactly how many, maybe maybe uh, 70 that came back. So it was really uh, humbling, and I, I've been very blessed with these great young men. So with that, when a couple of years from now, when somebody says, what does the College of Charleston mean to you, Ralph Lundy, what do you think you'll say? Well, first and foremost, I'll say my players. And uh, it's a we're in a people business. We we are here to help these young men develop, and uh, that goes for all my peers in this coaching business. We're here to help them grow. You know, my high school baseball coach was there Saturday night, and he's the one that helped me grow. And uh, it was amazing to have him with me. So that's that's what we do. We we enjoy these times and uh, share these times and do do everything we can to let these young men grow and develop and realize all their great potentials. We know you always enjoy your time at the United Soccer Coaches Convention where you're visible and always gregarious and amiable. Everybody loves coming up to you. Does this mean as part of your retirement we won't see you at any of those, or will we, not, will we still see you, Ralph? I will be like Bill. Uh, Schellenberger. I will be there. I My first convention was 1976, and I met Hank Steinbrecher at the Asheville Airport and went with him. He was the head coach of Warren Wilson College, and I was the assistant coach at Western Carolina University. So Hank took me to my first convention. In the last years of Bill Schellenberger's life, the the amazing, wonderful coach from Lynchburg College. I would meet him every morning at 6 a.m. at the coffee stand down in the lobby. And we would have our coffees, and then I'd walk him over so he could be a legendary Red Apron coach. And uh, I hope to do that. That convention is the greatest reunion, the most fun, once again, being just like you, I'm a people person, and we love to be with our friends and our comrades and the people who we've even had the toughest, most competitive games against. It's so wonderful to be with them again. The convention is, if, if people out there haven't gone to the convention, obviously the education part is amazing, but the camaraderie, is uh, it's so wonderful, Dean, as you know. You and I have both lived it for many years. What will you do? Have you thought about it, Ralph? What will you do in retirement? How will you keep busy? Have you thought about that at all? I mean, you still got to keep absolutely here, but yeah, I'm going to do. I'm going to keep training kids, keep doing camps, work in the local club, work in the state system. I'm just going to keep doing soccer. Uh, but kind of at my own rate, if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, that's what Probably, you know, I'll, I'll slow up some, obviously, but uh, 
I'll stay with it. I, I tell you, I like helping kids get better in soccer. I don't care if they're nine, if they're a little girl that plays on the third team in our club, or if they're a 16-year-old who's got the promise of college in front of him or her. That makes my world go round to help them develop. You already touched on him. Our last question here, you mentioned George Tarantini coming up, Henry Gutierrez, talking about the tribute they had for George Tarantini, who left us way too early this week at 70 years old. And you remember George well, right? Oh, do I ever. How about this, Dean? At the FIFA school at Emory University in 1983, I roomed nine days with George Tarantini and the legendary Walt Chesowitz Memorial Award winner George Visvari. Now that was a room, that was never a dull moment, that was so much fun. Lundy, Visvari, and Tarantini, oh my goodness, was that a great time. Never forget it. And do you know, uh, this, this is who George Tarantini was. In 94, I mean, obviously, uh, we entered Division One in 91, and we had some successes. 94, we're Sweet 16 at NC State. And I can't remember if Henry Gutierrez played in that game or not, but uh, bad weather, just an amazing game. We won 5-4 in sudden death overtime. Wow. So, George, we were at that FIFA school in 83. We became, and we played NC State, and they beat us most of the time in the regular seasons. So, big celebration after the game, and you could imagine that the ACC champs and NC State and Little College of Charleston were not quite that little, but, you know, uh, 8,000 just in Division One for four years. And a big celebration, and I'm so happy I can't stand it. And George Tarantini comes up and hugs me because he knew how hard I'd fought and, uh, you know, taking the program from NAIA. And George Tarantini was crying of happiness for me. Now, that to me, that tells everybody about that great big heart that guy had. What a character. He made life so much fun, but that is the genuine love of George Tarantini, crying in happiness for me. So mm. we're all saddened yeah. by his... Uh, That's why he spent time with Ralph Lundy as well, as he always seems to put life in perspective. And you're a great storyteller, Ralph. There are good things seen through your eyes, and you've had an amazing career, a career that deserves to be acknowledged, so proud that uh, they now named the field Lundy Field forever. That is uh, well-deserved, Ralph. Thanks for all you've accomplished. Thanks for all you do for United Soccer Coaches, and good luck the rest of the season. Dean, I'll see you at the Walt Chiswick's Foundation ceremony in Baltimore in January. We are honoring a legend, Lincoln Phillips. And then we are also honoring our great women's team national coach, Coach Alice. So that is going to be a great, great time on Saturday night at the convention. Thank you, Dean. 
Yeah, yes, thank sir. you, Ralph. I'll be there for sure. Coming up, Henry Gutierrez. Continue to learn and build your coaching resume by attending one of United Soccer Coaches' Winter Advanced Diplomas January 6th through the 10th in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. United Soccer Coaches is conducting five advanced diplomas this January. The National, Advanced National, Premier, Advanced National Goalkeeping, and National Youth Diplomas. Go to unitedsoccercoaches.org education to learn more about these courses and get registered today. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. If you recall, as we ended the interview with Ralph Lundy, who is retiring after an amazing career. They just named the College of Charleston Field Lundy Field. It's well-deserved. You've heard his great words in reference to George Tarantini. George Tarantini had a talent for soccer and coaching the sport and motivating his players. He won an ACC title as the coach of NC State men's soccer team, once led the Wolfpack to a number one national ranking in the final four and mentored one of the greatest players in U.S. soccer history. He mentored a ton of the great players in U.S. soccer history, including our guest. One more thing about him, he retired after a 25-year career as NC State's head coach in 2010. He won more games than anyone in school history and led the Wolfpack to the NCAA tournament nine times, including an appearance in soccer's version of the final four in 1990, where they played that amazing UCLA team, which still has players on that team that you see and hear from every single day. One of the players that uh, you think of is Tab Ramos. I can tell you folks, a lot of people say Henry Gutierrez, every bit as good as Tab Ramos. They put him in the same category. He played for the U.S. Youth National Teams in World Cups. He actually got a cap with the U.S. He came a little bit too early for MLS, but still made a career in MLS, even though it happened about five years after he had graduated from college, and it's uh, certainly our honor, even under tough circumstances, to be joined by the great Henry Gutierrez. Henry, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Dean. Glad to be on. Yeah, I know it's under a difficult circumstance, but, uh, boy, George Tarantini, I had the honor of being around him with Boris Milikinovic and to have those two guys together. There's such huge personalities, but at just seven years old, that's way too young to lose a man of his stature and personality. Just kind of put into words what George Tarantini meant to you and what he really meant to soccer, not just in North Carolina, but across the country. You know, Dean, it's kind of tough, but in terms of when I met him, you know, I met him as a a 15-year-old kid from Hialeah, Florida, you know, at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. Uh, Met him, you know, through John Rennie, and really that's how the attachment came because he had – a Region 1 team that was a fantastic squad that apparently had never lost until uh, or tied until they met our South Region team that was, was completely loaded as well and started up a conversation after after that game back in 19, I believe it was 85. You know, and then after that, uh, the attachment was pretty ongoing only because of kind of the Hispanic and me being from South Florida, et cetera, et cetera. So at that point in time, I already had a logist of what he was doing. I, I, I didn't really know much about Tab Ramos at the time, and I know he was here at NC State. And, you know, highly of kids when they're 16 years old, 17 years old, the outlook isn't really to go to college. But um, it started going on me more and more, and through the national team program and Coach Tarantini and another fellow that we all know by the name of Samuel Galati, the realizations of going to college was pretty – understandable and you know having coach here at nc state it kind of made my decision for me i was coming here so 
and like I tell people, I came to college as a, as a kid from Hialeah, not knowing a whole lot, and got here as a boy and left as a man. So it, it was more than just soccer to him. It's his life. And it was just more than just soccer in that what you came here for was not only academics represent the, you know, the Wolfpack family, but you're also coming here to to be part of a family. And so for us, it was more of get here not knowing, little naive, somewhat still a city kid from Hialeah, and then leaving here a, a, a grown man and understand what life's about. So that was the type of man he was. He was... Uh, more about togetherness, family, do a lot for one another. And like he would, he would do whatever he could for you at any point in time, anywhere, anytime. So my relationship with him stints over a 36-year period. So, you know, to narrow down exactly what he was about was kind of tough. But in terms of his heart, his passion, what he meant to soccer, both as a regional coach, both as a college coach, both as a, you know, as a friend, a friend to the family, a friend to me, a friend to everybody that he brought to college. It was about unity, and it was about bringing all the kids together, and, you know, it's about making lifelong friends. And at the very end, I think he accomplished a lot. He never wanted you to know about it. That, that wasn't coach. So there was a lot of things that he kept to himself. But all in all, at the very end, when you left school, you know that you left here a man and that you, you gave back. And all he asks is that you give back some way, fashion, or form in whatever way you can. You did grow up under his tutelage, that's for sure. You know, to put it all in just, you know, simple terms is kind of tough. Between him and I, it was over a 36-year period. So we, had, we have a lot. We have a lot. No, that's well said because he he very much was enigmatic. He could be bombastic if you wanted to, but at the end of the day, he had a heart of gold. And by bombastic, I mean kind of entertaining on the sideline, of course. Uh, we all remember scenes of him sitting down on the one end of the bench, the only way George Tarantini could do. And he had that incredible connection with Jim Valvano, who also left us way too early. I mean, at the end of the day, knowing what you saw on Sunday – when they had his memorial, that kind of sums it up, right? How much love everybody that uh, came across him had for him, right? Sunday was pretty special, right? Yeah, it was pretty special also, Dean, because of uh, the variance of people that were not only there, variance of people that were in these pictures. You know, it went from uh, some of the, you know, Tab Ramos was there to Sunil Galati was there to, to just kids that he touched for maybe 10, 15 minutes in a, in, in a high school game over at St. David's High School where he spent the majority of his last, you know, I would say 7 to 10 to 15 years. He spent a lot of time with Jose Cornejo at St. David's. And it was as simple as a high school kid to dealing with guys like Tab Ramos and myself and Dario Bros and et cetera, the guys that, that grew up in the program. So the variance and the spectrum of from just a simple kid from high school to one of the best players that ever played this game, it's, it's his ability to relate to both. It's amazing. And it was done through passion, love, uh, love for the game, love for what the game's about, you know, and really a love for people. I mean, the guy wanted to get together, wanted to have that table, wanted people to sit around that table, have that bottle of wine or a little, you know, something else to drink, whatever suits them. But his passion and his friendship, and especially with the guys you mentioned, Jimmy B, it was a connection that they had that was incredible. 
Yeah, I mean, if you're connected to, to Jimmy B the way they were, that gives you a great idea. And I mentioned Bora as well. But he also was a really great coach that could to bring in great talent. So take us back to that 1990 team, Henry, because I feel like we need to remind people that NC State was right there. And perhaps George Keeper can return them to their glory. He's certainly done a great job in his first two years. But what a run. That team was loaded. If you can say as many names as possible that were on that team and what you remember about making that run all the way to the College Cup before losing to Brad Frito and the Bruins. That team that team was special. We talked about it a little bit this past weekend. Uh, we were different than, say, the 87 team that Tab was on that just had, if you put it on paper, they were just as talented. I mean, they had as many names as we did. They were very, very good. They needed to find a way to win, and for some reason it didn't happen for them. For us, we found the core of of that team. The spine of it was so talented, and uh, we were different. We felt that the only way we cared about winning more than individual accolades, even though we received them, and we, you know, they they were well merited, but. The spine cared about winning, and at the very end, the reason why we went as far as we did was we believed we believed in one way, and it was kind of the showcase people come out to watch us showcase what we can do, and Coach Tarantini would basically go through day in and day out about what we have, what we have as a team, what we are as individuals, what we are as people, and what we bring to the program and the joy we bring to the game. And the only way you can do that is by scoring goals because a joyful game is really not a 0-0 game. You have to enjoy the beauty of it, but not a lot of people come watch 0-0 games. And for Coach, it was about scoring goals and going forward. And that's what we did. And, guys, we had Roy Lasseter, we had Tommy Turner, we had Alex Sanchez, we had Dewan Bader, we had, you know, Dario Bosa in the midfield with myself. We had Scotty Schweitzer in the back, Kirk Johnson, who you well know pretty well, played right back for us. We had Dwayne Hampton on that team. We had a, an extremely talented group of guys that, for Coach Tarantini, stayed on the field the majority of the time, regardless of what the score was. Uh, he wasn't one that tinkered too often. He used to bring on Edwin Aguilera. Erwin Aguilera was one that came from Bolivia. His father's the one, the originator, of the, the starter of the Tawichi Academy in Bolivia. And he would come in at halftime. But overall, the, the talent and the willingness to win and sacrifice individual athletes is something that Coach instilled in us and basically said that everything that is going to come to us will, we just have to become a team. And basically we sacrifice everything for that. So the run we made was outstanding. I still to this day, I wish UCLA would have decided to come out and play. I know that Ziggy Smith is looking up there, looking down on us, you know, laughing. But uh, I, I think that game could have been more electric if they would have decided to play, but they didn't, and I don't blame them. This will probably be the first time I've said it. I thought that at first they were going to come and play in the Final Four, and that's what was said in the press conference. But unfortunately, after seven, eight minutes, that's not what happened. But we kept going, and I, don't, I can't remember the stats, but the amount of shots we took on Brad Friedel, who I consider probably the greatest goalkeeper this country's ever had, and I played with Casey Keller, and I played with Tony Miola, but Brad Friedel, that game was incredible. If it wasn't for him, we would have wound up playing in the final. I don't know what would have happened, but we would have played in the final. So the team was um, somewhat of the running rebels of, of college soccer. 
we were run and go, and you know, with the ability of we had with Roy Lasseter up front, who at the time was probably one of the fastest guys in college soccer with the ability to score goals, we were going to go, and uh, we were different. That's for sure. The dynamic was different. The team was different. Our sacrifices were different. That team just so happened, you know, won the ACC championship against an unbelievable Virginia team. And then, like you said, UCLA was loaded with national team guys, and that's what surprised us, that they wouldn't want to play us straight up. And, unfortunately, they didn't at the very beginning of the game. They kind of they went against what they have done all year, and it surprised us a bit. But we knew of one way, and I think they didn't really understand it until they saw it live on what what, what happened. Um, and, unfortunately, we came, on the sh- we came out on the short end of the stick that day. Great breakdown, great job dropping the names, great job even referencing Ziggy, who's, I'm sure, hanging out with George right now. Finally, Henry, and, and perhaps this will draw some emotion from you, but if you had one more chance to say something to George Tarantini, one more chance before he headed upstairs, what would you say to him, Henry? Uh, I, I really don't know, Dean. You know, it's kind of it's kind of tough because I, I think that over the last 36 years, good, better, and different, him and I had endless uh, uh, endless conversations in private that were just between him and I. So. I don't know if there's one lasting thing I would say to him. Uh, you know, more so than probably thank you. But probably, you know, the the thank you to him is something that he never wanted. But we had uh, extensive conversations over the 36 years that that we knew each other, that we were part of each other, that that are you know I still keep to my heart or probably in private. But they were they were very engaging, that's for sure. And I think I would I would get the coach quite a bit, and he would get to me. So our relationship was was more of a you know father son to some extent, and brother brothers at other times. But I, I don't know if there was there was be you know if there was one final thing I could I could say to him. I mean, he probably knows what it is. And, um, you know, and everything that's ever been wanting to say to him, I've told him over the last 36 years, sometimes in a disgruntled fashion, sometimes in a joyous occasion. But either way, I think everything that needed to be said between him and I was said, uh, even till two weeks ago when we were at lunch. So, you know, we, we sat at lunch and everything was pretty much said. Uh, and some of it joyful, some of it. Uh, a bit controversial, but that was Coach and I. That's the relationship we had. We've always had. And, um, you know, and at times in his office, and at times in his office with Jimmy B. And, uh, you know, it, it was well worth every single second, every single memory, every single one of those conversations were that I keep to myself, but they were always there. So uh, I don't think, it, to answer your question, Dean, I don't think there's – there's there's any any words unsaid between us, so there wasn't there wouldn't be much to say, other than Robert, uh, thank you. Yeah, that's a great answer, Henry. Every once in a while, I get lucky and push the right button. You were my first choice for recognizing and saluting the life of George Tarantini, and the only choice, Henry Gutierrez, folks. He was a big time soccer player. Now he's a big time coach, and obviously a long time friend of George Tarantini. Henry, thanks for being with us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on.
George Tarantini passed away at 70 years old. You will indeed be missed. And coming up, Brian Mazinoff. He played on a U.S. World Cup team. He played on a U.S. Olympic team. He's a former college player of the year at Indiana. He shared it that year with Todd Yeagley, his teammate, his longtime friend, a man who he was an assistant coach under at Indiana, his alma mater for years. Last year he took over at Ohio State. This year he's got the Buckeyes winning again. Brian Mazinoff, one of the best ever. Registration is now open for the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. Make your plans to join us January 15th through the 19th for five days of coaching education, networking, meal and social functions, award presentations, and more. Register before December 11th to secure the best rate. Visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org to learn more. The United Soccer Coaches Convention. Your event for all things coaching. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by team staff. I want to thank Ralph Lundy, the legendary coach at College of Charleston, who is announcing that this is his last year after 44 years as a head coach. also want to thank the great Henry Gutierrez for his special tribute to George Tarantini, the legendary NC State coach who passed away last week at the young age of 70. As promised, we are joined by one of the rising stars in coaching, but definitely a star player for the USA, for the Columbus Crew, for the Indiana Hoosiers. Talking about Mays, Brian Mazinoff, now in his second season as the head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes. This after appearing in the Olympics and the World Cup in 1998 when he played in all three games for the USA and a brilliant career at the Columbus Crew where in league matches almost 175 games, 23 goals and who could forget that he helped lead Indiana to eight NCAA tournament appearances including two college cups and four NCAA Sweet 16 appearances as a big time assistant coach. He was an All-American during his playing days for the Hoosiers from 91 to 94 and he was part of Todd Yeager's staff for nine years coaching nine All-Americans as well as 22 players who have gone on to play professional soccer, including 14 in MLS. Mays joins us now. Brian Mazemoff, thanks for being with us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, Mays, so we uh, really wanted to have you on because you are now starting your head coaching career, and you, Ralph Lundy just finished up 44 years. That's a long run from where you sit. You ready to go 42, 43 more? <laughs> <laughs> he's, had an incredible, he's had an incredible career. Um, and uh, he's he's done some great things in in uh, college soccer and and uh, just in the soccer community in general. What a what a fantastic coach in person. Yeah, and he's um, as you would expect, good friends with Jerry Yeagley. We call him the Godfather. So let's start there because I gotta believe Jerry was one of your early mentors coming to Indiana. What do you remember from what he taught you about the game and perhaps about wanting to be a coach, Mays? Yeah, I mean, what an incredible mentor, like, like you said. I mean, he is such a fantastic coach. Um, he's a great man manager. He knows his tactics. Um, he just has a way to influence uh, student athletes and, and to get the best out of every single player. It didn't matter if you're an All-American, if you only saw a couple minutes, or, you know, some guys never never even got on the field, but he was able to influence them and, and make them the best player they could, they could possibly be. Um, he, he just had a... He had a knack for for uh, managing people and and really getting the best out of them. Growing up in Warren, Michigan, did you always know you were going to Indiana? Was it a one choice choice for you, or were there some other schools involved? Yeah, you know, back then recruiting was obviously a little bit different. I mean, uh, you had 
you take your five official visits after, you know, midway through your senior year, you would take your five official visits and, and then make your decision, you know, um, after Christmas. Um, and I, I took my five official visits, so they were all schools in the Midwest, a couple East Coast. Um, I, I did my five official visits, and then at the end of the day, obviously IU, um, with their tradition, with, with Coach Yeggs, um, I mean, it, it, it made – it made all the sense in the world. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it was a, it was an easy decision, uh, but there are other schools involved for sure. Now, when you got there, ironically, it would be another Yagley that you would form a bond with, mm-hmm. and you guys played side-by-side, and including a, a first when both of you won College Player of the Year when they split the Mac and Herman. You each took one of them, which is pretty amazing to come from the same team. So when did you know, how did you know that would be such a great combination, Mazenoff and Yegley on the Hoosiers? <laughs> Actually, Todd and I met when we were about 13 years old. We played against each other uh, in, uh, with ODP. I played for the Michigan team. He was obviously out of Indiana. We played against each other. We played with each other on the regional team um, when we were 16 and 17. So I knew, uh, I knew what kind of player Todd was. And then he, he's a fantastic player. Um, so I was excited to join him at IU, and um, I mean, when you step on the field with Todd, you can just, I mean, he sees the game differently than most players. Um, he, he's just, he's a step ahead of everybody else. So, I mean, it was uh, it was an honor to share the field with him because he is, he's a fantastic player. Um, and it was exciting to be able to play next to him for four years in college and then to join him with the Columbus crew. Um, you know, we, we have a special relationship. He's a, he's a, um, like I said, he was a great player, and he's an even better coach. Um, and he, he's doing great things at IU. You had a great run at the Columbus Crew. What do you remember about that one gap year as you were waiting for MLS to start to, after your graduation? Remind us what you did then, and then um, tell us about your run with the Columbus Crew, because you had a great career there, Mays. Well, thank you. Uh, th- yeah, that was an interesting year. So I left school uh, in, in 1994 as my last year playing. Um, in 95. Uh, the Olympics were in, 90, in 1996, so um, we had we had residency with with the Olympic team in the, uh, beginning in 1995. I uh, actually went to the Pan American Games with the, with the U23s, tore my ACL, um, you know, three days into the trip. So went back to Bloomington to rehab the knee, and then the beginning, the end of '95, uh, we went out to Chula Vista with the U23s, and they had the the first residency program out in in Chula Vista for for the Olympics. Um, so we went out there, trained. Um, we got out there in September, and we were there through November or through December, um, training with the U23s. Um, and then the beginning of 1996, when the league was starting, um, I was fortunate to get allocated to the Columbus Crew, so I knew I was going to be in Columbus. So excited about that! But the league wasn't starting until 19, uh, the beginning of 96. Plus, the Olympics were 96, so I was split in time. Uh, with the Columbus crew, the first couple games, and then I went out um, with with Coach Arena. He did a residency out in Reston, Virginia, because he was obviously doing double duty coaching D.C. United and the Olympic team. So that was an exciting year to be able to kick off um, the uh, you know the the, uh, the league and then also be part of the uh, Olympic team. So that that was an incredible year. After your run with the Columbus Crew, clearly the coaching bug was there. You spent four years as an assistant with the U.S. Under-17 national team. You also served as assistant coach for the U.S. U-20 national team in 2007 during the CONCACAF qualification process, and you coached the U-20s in the 2007 FIFA World Cup in Canada. Talk about that time coaching the USA Youth national teams, how that helped prepare you for 
you know, your move to Louisville and then Bloomington and even now at Ohio State. Yeah, that, that was that, that was an incredible uh, situation. So when I retired from the from the crew, I knew I wanted to get into coaching. Was doing a little bit of coaching in Columbus during the end of my playing days. I knew, uh, unfortunately, I had a ton of injuries, and and my my playing career was was coming up to an end. Um, so I started to get into coaching, and absolutely loved it. Uh, when I retired from the crew, um, a, a spot opened up with the U17s down in Bradenton. So I went down there, interviewed with with Coach Hackworth, and. Um, you know, John, uh, I was so fortunate for him to add me to his staff. And, and down in Bradenton at the time with the 17s, there were, you know, five coaches down there. The U20 came through there, the full team. MLS did a lot of their training camps down there. So I was there for almost four years, and I really felt, um, you know, that was like 20 years of experience just because it was all soccer. Every team was kind of coming through Bradenton at that time. I was able to watch training sessions with MLS teams. I could bop into watch U20 training sessions. Uh, Thomas Rongan, uh, again, I was fortunate for, for me to, uh, he added me to his staff, so I was traveling with the 20s, with the 17s, and it was like soccer 24-7 coaching. And I was learning from some of the best of the best uh, between Hack and Rongan, um, and then obviously Timmy Mulqueen and Raul Diazarte and Keith Falk, and, and uh, we were all down there. Um, just bouncing ideas off of each other. So just in terms of, um, you know, experience, coaching experience, I was around some of the best of the best. So it was uh, it was an incredible, for my first coaching experience, It was uh, I was very fortunate to be in that environment. And then how about the transition to the college game, decision to join Kenny Lola at Louisville for two years? What made you say, hey, I need to now – start dipping my toes into the college game, and let me start here in Louisville? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I really enjoyed working for U.S. soccer. Um, it, it's, a, it's a little bit different because it, when I was with the 17s, obviously you, you, would train, um, you would train every day, but then when you went on trips, whether it was qualifying or just international tournaments, you were gone for, you know, a short trip would be 10 days. Qualifying for the 20s, U20s, I was gone for about 26, 28 days. Uh, in Trinidad, which I had a young family, and after a while, I, I just I, I needed to be around the family more. As my kids <laughs> started to get older and say, "Dad, you're going to be gone for how long?" Uh, that that was hard, and my daughter was about to be born, so the college game made a lot of sense. Um, I love working um, with that age player, um, so it, it made a lot of sense to get in the, into into college, and then to you know again to be fortunate to to learn from Ken Lola, who's Again, one of the best of the best that, that coach in college soccer. What a tremendous coaching mind and, and just leader. Um, I was so fortunate to, to, you know, work with him for two years uh, at Louisville. So, you know, when he offered uh, the job, he, he asked me actually a couple times, and, and one time it just didn't make sense. And then um, when I when I decided to join him, it, it made a lot of sense, and um, you know, I was honored to be able to, to join the staff. Obviously, though, uh, home is home, and you know, you're. Your, one of your homes, so you got three of them, right? More Warren, Michigan, Bloomington, <laughs> Indiana, and Columbus, Ohio, right? And Bloomington yep. clearly got to be pulling at your heartstrings. What do you remember about that process of your great friend, a guy you played with since you were 13 years old, a guy you played in college with, a guy you played in pro with, when they called you to, to be a part of Indiana, what was that like? Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, so, uh, it was so hard to leave Ken and, and Louisville, that team um, – 
uh, that that was coming back uh, for the year that I, I decided to to join uh, to join the exit IU was was a fantastic group of guys. Um, it was really hard to leave Ken in, in Louisville. It's a great athletic department, and um, we were we were having a good team coming back, and it was just a great situation. And but when when Todd invited me to join his staff to go back to IU, um, obviously being an alum and just um, everything that that IU um, gave to me as, as a player, and and to be around the alums from IU, and it, it just it made a lot of sense. I mean, it was. Um, and, and then to be able to work with Yeggs, uh, just it, it was it was a tough decision, but an easy decision at the same time because it was such a great situation at IU. And like I said, I was honored that Yeggs wanted me to come back with him to to IU to to really get it going. Um, and and so I mean, from that standpoint, I knew what I was getting into. Yeggs and I, you know, we we think the game the same, and we could almost finish each other's sentences that. Uh, we knew that the office and the, the work on the field was going to be a lot of fun, and, and our families were close. So from that standpoint, it, it, it made all the sense in the world. But it was tough. It was tough to leave Louisville and Ken. Well, and you won a ton of games with Todd at Indiana. In fact, you also remind everybody you came so close to winning a college cup as players. But you know what? You got your college cup right in 2012. <laughs> you guys won the national championship. Knowing how close you and Todd came as players, that you guys were right there knocking on the door to win it as coaches, did that make up for it? Was that uh, a shiny moment for you? i got to believe it is. Yeah, that, that, was, that was helpful because you're absolutely right. I mean, we, we lost my freshman year. We lost in the College Cup to a very good Santa Clara team. Um, we, were, we were ranked in the top five, you know, my sophomore, my junior year, and, and so close to um, getting back there. And then my senior year, we had a tremendous run. Um, I had some great teammates my, my senior year, and, and to get to the, the finals against Virginia and to lose one nothing after a tremendous senior year, um, even though I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it in. I had some great memories and great relationships. I wouldn't trade it in for the world, but almost felt a, a little unfinished business because we didn't get we didn't get a chance to win a national championship, and um, to go back in twelve with not only Todd but uh, Ernie Yarborough, who was one of my teammates. Um, he was our keeper coach. To go back with with those guys and win it in, in 2012 definitely definitely helped. Um, just in terms of of making up for that, you know, that missed opportunity, I guess you could say. So yeah, to to win it with those guys in 2012 was really special. Well, in 2012, you were named the United Soccer Coaches Assistant Coach of the Year. I think you won it again in 2017. And you're rolling along, and I'm sure during that entire time, if you're honest with us, I'm sure there were several colleges that were looking at you, wanting you to go. And I'm sure you said, you know, hey, thank you, I'm flattered, but I really love Bloomington. I almost feel like there's only a couple jobs out there that you would have left your situation with Todd at Bloomington. And obviously because of your ties to Columbus, the Ohio State Buckeyes were one of them. Am I right on all of that? And what do you remember about, you know, getting the call from Ohio State? Yeah, I mean, you're pretty accurate. I, I uh, uh, again, it was such a, a great situation at IU, and and there were only a couple programs that I would have left IU for, and and obviously Ohio State was one of them. To come back to to Columbus, I say it all the time. In 2005, when we left Columbus, my wife always said, if we get a chance to come back, let's do it. It's such a great town, a great city, um, and then to be part of this athletic department. Um, Ohio State, is, it's a fantastic place. So you're right. There's only a couple of programs I would have left for, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, 
it's fantastic to be part of um, Ohio State and be part of this athletic department. And then, like I said, transition-wise for the family to come back to Columbus, uh, we live about a mile and a half from our old house 15 years ago. Um, we still have some friends in the in the neighborhood, so the community's fantastic, and the athletic department's wonderful. So, I mean, it was uh, it was just a great opportunity uh, for myself and the family. Well, it's so great to see you get off to a great start. You won five in a row. You've got a nice record rolling into Big Ten play. You've already got uh, one tie on the books as well in Big Ten play. And you start to think about all those wins you had. And then going through last year, your new coach, you come in, you get just that one win, Brian, and, and I know your son was also dealing with knee surgeries and that type of thing. How hard was last year, and how much did it did it make you grow as a person and as a coach? I, I mean, it, it was a challenging year. I, I said it all the time. I mean, um, the administration, the old coaching staff, um, were, were um, they were great in the transition, and they made us – uh, aware of what the challenges were coming into the program. Um, we, we knew it coming in, and, and it, it's part of the job. It's part of the transition, uh, but it is challenging. Um, and, and not winning as many games as you would like is tough. But I'll tell you what, it does make you grow. It makes you, it makes you learn um, quite a bit. It pushes your, your boundaries and, and makes you grow as a coach. So just in terms of a, a development year, not only for the program but for myself, um, it was a – it was a great it was it was a great year. It was a challenging year, but it, it was definitely a fun challenge. When you think about expectations, you know being at Indiana as a player and as a coach, the expectations are to win the Big Ten and to win the NCAA championship. I mean, those are it, plain and simple. Nothing. There's no gray about it. Um, uh, ironically, I said gray because you're not wearing scarlet and gray. What, <laughs> what, <laughs> what are the expectations for your Ohio State team, short term and long term, Brian Mazeloff? I mean, we're we're building a program that's going to compete for for Big Ten championships and national championships. I mean, we got some we got some work to do, um, but it, again, it started last year, and and we've seen uh, some really good growth in in the spring, and then this fall, uh, this current team is is developing every single day, and I give them a ton of credit because we've we've asked a lot of them over the last six eight months, um, and and they're responding. Um, you know, we, we still have a long way to go, but we're, we're continuing to grow and develop. And, and I mean, the expectations, uh, not only that we, we put on the program, but they're putting on themselves. They, they want to, um, they, they want to win championships. And, and that's great. I mean, like I said, we got to continue every single day to develop those, those championship habits, um, and to develop that culture that creates those habits. But, but we're getting there and they're putting the work in. It, it's fun to watch and it's fun to be a part of. Finally, I'll have your call on Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern time, an early Sunday brunch game against the Rutgers. <laughs> Jim McKeldry was on a couple weeks ago on the program. Obviously, he's had a great start to his campaign, first campaign at Rutgers. That'll be a great matchup. Uh, why should people tune into that game at 11 o'clock on Sunday, Brian? Um, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a fun game. I mean, Rutgers is a really good team, and like you said, uh, Jim's got them playing really well. Um, I've watched a, a, a few other games so far, um, just in terms of, of preparing for them on Sunday. And I mean, they move the ball around well. Their mobility is fantastic, um, and, and they can really get after you. So I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be a tremendous game, um, and, and it should be a pretty entertaining one as well. Brian Mazenoff in his second year as the top man at the Ohio State University, head coach of the Buckeyes men's 
Soccer team. We'll see you on TV on Sunday, Brian. Thanks so much for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Dean, thanks so much for having me. All the best. Coming up. Gary Rosenfield. For ways to improve your training sessions, Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. We have long been talking about some great partnerships that United Soccer Coaches has developed over the years. One of those special partnerships is with Coaches, Inc., a sports marketing agency dedicated to protecting and promoting coaches. you got to believe that fits right in with the mission of United Soccer Coaches. So we are pleased to be joined once again by Gary Rosenfield, who is with Coaches, Inc. He's an agent, he's a lawyer, he's super smart, and he joins me now. Gary, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Dean. Yeah, we're excited about talking about uh, this one-day professional development workshop leading into this year's convention in Baltimore. Yeah, we're really excited about what we're doing with United Soccer Coaches this year at convention. Um, You know, our expertise for a long time has been about helping to protect and promote coaches uh, in all sports. And, you know, today for soccer coaches, whether you're a collegiate coach, a high school coach, a professional coach, semi-professional, whatever it is, um, now more than ever, you know, we've found that it's important for everybody to be prepared um, for their career as it continues to ascend. Um, So what we've done is we've partnered with United Soccer Coaches, and on Wednesday, January 15th, um, we will be conducting a day-long career development workshop, which can be added on um, when you register for a convention. And this is going to be unlike anything that United Soccer Coaches has ever done. Um, And what it's doing is giving coaches at all levels the opportunity to come in, learn, and hear from decision makers um, about what they're looking for uh, from coaches, from coaching candidates, and from just any professional that's looking to move up and move on in their career. Um, We're going to be offering them insights into, you know, issues they may face, insights into preparing themselves for the next level, you know, how to interview, what the decision makers want to hear, what they should know from current and some of the most successful head coaches out there. You know, certainly a lot of work about the interview, um, contracts, you know, really this hits everything that a coach would need uh, to help them in their career, whether it's for right now or whether it's for years down the road. So we know that it's a unique offering. I think it's the first time that United Park Coaches has offered this, and we're just really excited that um, they're allowing us to be a part of it. You're hearing the wisdom of Gary Rosenfield with Coaches, Inc., talking about this one-day professional development workshop. And for those people that are listening right now, and our numbers are fantastic, and they're like, wait, what? Wednesday, i got to get there earlier. What do they got to do to make sure they get to be a part of this? Gary, walk us through the sort of logistics of being involved in this? So really, it's as simple as just registering for a convention. You know, if they register for a convention as they, you know, hopefully do every year, um, at a certain point during the registration process, they'll be prompted uh, about whether or not they want to, you know, add the Coaches, Inc. 
career professional development workshop on to their registration. Um, if they're looking for information about it specifically, they would go to unitedsoccercoachesconvention.com slash coachesinc, that's C-O-A-C-H-E-S-I-N-C, which lays out, you know, not only our partnership, but also the preliminary schedule for the day. Um, and, you know, getting in a day early, you know, absolutely understand the good news is that being in a city like Baltimore um, is actually a lot to do as well. I think that United Soccer Coaches and, and, and Coaches Inc. wanted to give these coaches enough time um, to learn as much as possible, to really take advantage of the day. And I think it's really important just to note that the way the day is set up, you know, we're not interested in just, you know, speaking at these coaches. There's going to be a lot of interaction. There's going to be, you know, a live mock interview, um, which we will kind of go over with people, you know, in real time. Um, there'll be networking discussions, you know, an opportunity to network um, both with administrators and with coaches. Um, so really, we want to make this, you know, both memorable, um, energetic, and exciting, and also really valuable for um, anybody that's serious and passionate about taking their career to the next level. You mentioned the word valuable. Remind us, because uh, I remember the last time you were on, you talked about sort of the value system with United Soccer Coaches that attracted you to want to do the partnership. Remind us what it was about United Soccer Coaches that said, hey, we need to partner with them over here at Coaches Inc. I think first and foremost, it's just, you know, the way in which they advocate for their membership. And, you know, I think a lot of people think of advocacy for, you know, are you, you know, picking up a, a fight or an argument and, and taking somebody's side. You know, what I've gotten to see firsthand is just uh, the level at which this organization operates from an educational standpoint. Um, you know, for us, and, and as we've gotten to know United Soccer Coaches, the need for coaches um, predominantly at the collegiate and professional level um, to have some help with their contracts and job interviews, you know, that was kind of what originally attracted us. And as we've continued to become more and more involved and get to know the membership um, as well as the uh, the leadership of the organization, we've really seen a need for coaches at all levels um, to learn about strategies and, you know, ways in which they can add value, to use that buzzword again, um, add value to their careers and to any opportunity that might come um, so as we sat down with, uh, with Lynn and, and, and Jeff Anderson and, and, and that team this year to figure out how we could best help these coaches, uh, we decided on this one-day workshop, which will really hit on everything that we do in terms of our expertise, and it's going to be tailored in a way that, you know, it will uh, it will relate to any coach at any level that's there. Like I said, you know, usually you think contracts, um, so you're thinking just, you know, collegiate or professional, um, you know, some club coaches. But the way in which we tailor this workshop is that if you're a high school coach, if you're a youth coach, if you're a college coach, if you're a semi-professional coach, professional, whatever it might be, you know, everybody interviews for a job. So let's make sure that we know today's day and age what you need to do in an interview. You know, everybody deals with problematic uh, players, whether they're youth players, you know, collegiate, professional, whatever it is. So let's make sure that every coach is prepared for issues that might come up and how best to deal with it. You know, every coach has a boss or a supervisor. So let's make sure that we know how you manage up, how you communicate with those people and make sure that there aren't any issues in that realm. So we're taking these topics that aren't talked about a whole lot 
but are really essential to anybody who's a coach, whether a head coach or an assistant coach, and trying to provide them as much information as possible in a fun and enthusiastic way. And I think that's what you're going to see um, if you register for this add-on session on January 15th. Here with Gary Rosenfield, Coaches, Inc. And if there are coaches out there that are thinking, ah, this is really just for pro and college courses, it's not for me, what's your message to somebody that's maybe in the youth or high school part of the game? Well, I'd have two messages for him, Dean. I think the first one is, you know, take a look at the website uh, or when you're registering and take a look at, at what the agenda for that day is. And I think that you'll see a bunch of topics and discussions that are going to be going on and saying, you know what, you know, that could really benefit me in terms of what I'm looking to do. You know, that's number one. I think number two is that, you know, wherever you're a coach, you always want to get better. And that's why, you know, coaches go to these conventions because they want to learn. And for us, you know, being able to provide a different type of presentation, a different type of event, and then some different types of, of feedback for these coaches, you know, you don't need to be a college or professional coach to, you know, figure out the best way to interview and what you need to bring up when you interview or how to express interest in a new opportunity. You know, you don't need to be a college or professional coach um, to talk about how to best deal with problematic players or problematic situations that arise on your team um, to make sure that you are protecting yourself for whatever level you're at. So, you know, while they may think that that's the case, that it's just for, you know, those coaches that are making X amount of dollars or, you know, have contracts or at that level. Um, it's clear to us that just from questions we've been asked, people that reach out to us, you know, throughout the year, um, but these are things that are affecting everybody and that everybody will be in the better for, you know, having learned about it when we get to January. Finally, Gary, uh, how can people learn more about what you guys are doing at Coaches, Inc., and if they have more questions specifically about this professional development, the Wednesday of the convention, how do they learn more? Yeah, so I think three ways. First of all, um, as I mentioned, logging on to the United Soccer Coaches Convention website at unitedsoccercoachesconvention.com slash Coaches, Inc. Um, they can get all the information regarding our session, and as I said earlier, you know, they'll be prompted at registration as to whether or not they want to add on our session and all that information will be there. That's number one. Uh, number two, I can always be reached via email at G as in Gary Rosenfield, R-O-S-E-N-F-I-E-L-D at coachesinc.com. That's G Rosenfield at coachesinc.com. Uh, and my Twitter handle is at Gary with two R's, G-A-R-R-Y at Gary CI for Coaches, Inc. Um, I'm always available that way as well. And then certainly speaking to any contact they might have with United Soccer Coaches, knowing about our partnership. If we can ever be of help to members, all they need to do through our partnership with United Soccer Coaches is reach out to them, let United Soccer Coaches know that they'd like to get connected to Coaches, Inc., uh, and, you know, we'll reach out to them and follow up as soon as possible. So a bunch of different ways uh, that are they're relatively easy to get connected to us here about what we're doing. Um, and as always, if anybody has questions or comments, I'm always happy to answer uh, via email. Gary, you're always fantastic on the podcast. You're fantastic at what you do with Coaches, Inc. Thanks so much for your partnership with United Soccer Coaches. Gary Rosenfield, Coaches, Inc. Pleasure to have you on the program, Gary. Thanks, Dean. All right, coming up, we meet two more members of our 30 under 30 class, Sam Breen, assistant coach for the UCLA women, and Bot Long, getting it done in the Boston area. This after this message. (laughs) 
Team Snap's awesome. I have five teams on Team Snap. There are no questions asked by the players, the parents. Very easy to use. Very, very, very easy. Simple to use. Everyone, you know, everything's right there. Messages, availability, boom, boom, boom. I've looked at other at other things, and I think Team Snap sets the bar for this type of team management software. It's the best that I found. Welcome back to the United Factor Coaches Podcast, my favorite time of the show. We get to know two members of our United Factor Coaches 30 Under 30 program. Up first is Sam Green, now in her third season as a coach and seventh season overall on the UCLA women's staff. We all know we're huge fans of Amanda Cromwell and that great program. And obviously, Amanda, a big fan of Sam Green as she's been there now seven years. She serves as the team's recruiting coordinator. Is that all right, Sam? Yeah, it's been awesome seven years. This past few years being a full-time assistant and being integrated in all aspects of the program has been really fun. And learning from a mentor like Amanda Cromwell has been a really cool experience as a young coach. All right, tell us a little bit about uh, where you grew up, how you ended up at Northwestern. We'll get to your accolades at Northwestern because she was pretty good at Northwestern. In fact, I'll go ahead and say it now that Sam Green finished her career ranked fourth on Northwestern's career and single-season assist list with 16 and 8, respectively, and the career games played with 78. So tell us uh, all of your soccer background leading up to and through Northwestern, please. I'm from Southern California area. actually grew up in Santa Monica, which is um, a couple miles from UCLA. And uh, growing up as a local L.A. kid, you had to leave L.A. at the time to go play competitive soccer. So I played for the Eagles in Camarillo, who are – we're a DA club and now at UCNL club, and we won three national championships with my team, which put us at a pretty good level for recruiting and being scouted, and I chose to leave California and go to Northwestern and experience something different in the Big Ten, and obviously played a lot there, did really well, led my team, very different style of soccer, which I enjoyed learning, and Northwestern University is one of the best schools in the country, so did really well academically, and then quickly moved out of the snow and came back to L.A. and got a job here at UCLA. Yeah, so what did you major in at Northwestern then, Sam? I was in learning and organizational change, which is a pretty cool undergraduate because usually it's a master's program, and it's all about the people side to business and organizations, and a lot of it has to do with either teaching or coaching or doing um, potentially doing consulting work or anything like that, and you really look at how organizations function in systems um, with other people or, um, you know, different influences or understandings and how they kind of affect how efficient you are as an organization. I love it. So when did you know in your heart of hearts that you wanted to be a coach? I think I was always one of those players who saw the game and could um, help my teammates see the game. So. I was definitely a leader and a captain as I grew up, so I had that role on teams. I loved talking about the game, um, all aspects of it. So when I was in college, it was definitely a career path that I thought I would be interested in. But as you know, there's no pathway really to coaching. So you have this idea you want to coach, but is it in youth? Is it in college? Is it professional? And then what does that look like? And I was fortunate that my coaches at Northwestern were able to take me under their wing my senior year and allowed me to stay on as an undergraduate assistant coach uh, to kind of get a good feel for it. Um, and then I went into the volunteer assistant coach right after I graduated, um, which led me to, like, just really understand what college soccer is about. And I think I fell in love with the 
age group um, and being able to teach the game to players who are capable of understanding kind of a basic level. Um, and then you're able to mentor a lot of 18 to 22 year olds, which is what I'd love to do. We're here with Sam Green. She's part of the UCLA women's soccer coaching staff. You also spent some time actually coaching the LA Galaxy South Bay 2000 Elite Age Group for several years. Talk about that experience, Sam. Yeah, it was really fun. I think I took, right when I moved back to LA, I took over a local club team in Manhattan Beach, and that C team grew to a B team, then grew to an A team, and we got acquired by Galaxy and was able to kind of play at the elite level from about 16, 16, 17 age group. And a couple of those players are actually playing Division One soccer right now, one for ASU. We play them this week coming up. Pretty exciting. And another one for UPenn. Just being able to apply what I'm learning through my coaching courses, what I'm learning at UCLA while I was the director of ops, taking my own group and, you know, and learning through trial and error and growing up together and really investing in that age group of girls and they invest right back which is pretty powerful and we were able to do pretty well we won that's like the final four of state cup one league got a few of them recruited and then i as soon as i got the full-time job here at ucla i passed them on and a bunch of them were went through the galaxy development academy system i think everyone needs to needs to coach all age groups so it's definitely where I, I learned and built my philosophy as a coach and you've had some incredible memories both as a player and as a coach I'm going to ask you to pick your greatest memory both as a player and a coach can you do that for me Sam Ooh, that's tough. I think as a player is probably winning the U17 national championship title it was us versus the Dallas Texans in Texas we had about 6,000 fans of the game and we ended up winning that uh, three to two and at the age group, you're U17, that's kind of like the title of all titles when you're growing up because it's like people are juniors and seniors in high school. So that was a pretty big moment for me and my group. And then as a coach, ooh, it's got to be the national championship final against Stanford. We didn't end up winning that in 2017, but we went down 2-0 pretty early and came out of halftime, drew a couple things up, and the team immediately went and tied the game 2-2, two to two, fought to the end, and then Jay for Stanford ended up scoring a bomb goal. From outside the 18 to win it, but just to show that heart and character of a team down 2-0 in a final to come back out was a pretty special moment. I like that memories. And who would you describe as your top two or three mentors that helped uh, increase your love and passion for the game? I've got a few of them. One who coached me at Northwestern was Danielle Slayton. She was on the national team, uh, played pro. It was actually my connection point to um, my job here at UCLA. And she's someone who saw me as a player, uh, encouraged me to come out and work Julie Foudy leadership camp, and really encouraged me that this is, you know, a pathway uh, for women and kind of gave me opportunities along the way. Um, we're still very close. And then Julie Foudy is someone who I've looked up to uh, since I was little, captain of the national team. Um, so she's in Southern California. I was kind of able to see her a lot, and I was able to work her camps and really understand the development of a leader. And it's not just one type of leadership. Like, you can lead in a bunch of different ways. And so she was huge for me, and her and Danielle Slayton were the connections to my job through Amanda getting the job at UCLA, and, and Amanda Cromwell, I think, being able to learn from one of the best, not just female coaches in, in the country, but the best coaches in the country, one of the most winningest coaches in college soccer, and 
just here on a daily basis has been pretty influential in my life. What's been the best part about being a part of this 30 under 30 class? It's pretty cool because they pull coaches from all different levels. So it's not just college coaches, which is right now my uh, biggest network. It's the youth game. It's men's and women's side, um, different levels of college coaching. Um, And at the convention, we're able to – it's kind of a virtual classroom. And then at the convention, they're able to bring us all together. So we're able to meet, um, throw session ideas around, just connect on different pathways, what, what each other's goals are. They kind of have this peer group who's really striving to be the best coaches they can be. And as we know, we come from this competitive world, so it can be seen as a competitive um, industry. So when you're able to meet on a peer-to-peer basis, it really allows you to build bonds that are, um, you know, not competitive, that are able to share ideas and go across lines. And then the mentor, I I got matched up with Sue Ryan, who's um, been amazing to me, who's been a total asset in just connecting on who I am as a person and as a leader. And she's outside of my college network because she's more on the East Coast. And she's very, very experienced and very knowledgeable. And it's been really awesome getting to know her and hear her perspective. Longevity as well. I think it's really hard, competitive, you know, career. And so for her aspect to be able to say, hey, pace yourself a little bit, you know, this is a long career, and make sure to take care of yourself as long as your players. Great stuff, Sam Green. Certainly impressive, and I know a bright future ahead of you. You're surrounding yourself around some fantastic people. Those names you dropped were amazing, and your vision is clear. So thank you so much for being a part of the program today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm really honored to be a part of the 30 Under 30 program. So thank you for the interview. Yep. Speaking of 30 Under 30, we got one more to meet. It's Boss Long. That's right. It's spelled B-O-T-H, Boss Long. We'll ask him how he got that name. It's pretty funny. You'll enjoy it. Boss Long is next. Registration is now open for the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. Make your plans to join us January 15th through the 19th for five days of coaching education, networking, meal and social functions, award presentations, and more. Register before December 11th to secure the best rate. Visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org to learn more. The United Soccer Coaches Convention, your event for all things coaching. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap. As you know, we're getting to know two more members of our 30 Under 30 class. I want to thank Sam Green, assistant coach to Amanda Cromwell out of UCLA. And now we're pleased to be joined by Bob Long, which is a fascinating name. I want to understand that a little bit better. But uh, he's now back in Boston. He went to Boston College. He is uh, helping coach two club teams for the U15 boys in Winchester, U12 girls. He's also an assistant AD at a school in the Boston area. Again, he went to Boston College and was the head coach of the Boston College men's club soccer team for a little bit as well. And, Bob, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm pretty pumped to be a part of this class. I, I met all my classmates back in Chicago earlier this year, and it was very humbling to, to meet all those fantastic coaches and, and, and even better people. So I'm honored to this day to be considered among this group of good individuals. So thank you for having me. Kudos to you for giving shout-outs to your class. It's been impressive to get to know all of them. But let's get over this name thing because i got to admit, when, <laughs> I see it, uh, yeah, when I see it on a list, I'm like, wait, there's two longs or there's both of them or, or what's going on? Because folks at home, just so you know, it's spelled B-O-T-H. So if you're trying to contact them, it looks like both long. But 
It's Bach Long. Explain that name and maybe your ethnicity so we get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, sure. In fact, uh, Bach Long, B-O-T-H, is actually four letters of a longer name. My full name is Napina Bach Long. It's 13 letters long, so half the alphabet. But when I was in kindergarten, there was a spelling test, and everybody had some, you know, some pretty straightforward names like Ben or Dean or John. Mm-hmm. And I had Napina Bach, and so I failed my first five spelling tests. My mom, you know, was yelling at me and said, this is your name. I gave it to you, so to own it. I said, well, I can't spell it. I'm in kindergarten. <laughs> Next thing you know, I crossed I crossed out the first nine letters and said that you know what my my new name is Boss. Wow. And and, and it stuck. It stuck. Uh, it's a it's a Cambodian name. My family's Cambodian. I'm 100 Cambodian. We were based out in Long Beach, California. That's where I was born. Uh, we immigrated here from Cambodia. My family fled the Cambodian genocide back in the 70s. Bit of sadness uh, and darkness in history um, turned into one of my kind of best opportunities for chasing my dreams. What a great story. You tell it so well, too. And that, that's a kindergarten. So a kindergarten on your own, you just said, wait, I like these four letters. This is what I'm going with. And what did mom and dad say? I don't think they had much of an option. They kind of, I, you know, I, I, got a, I got a good grade on my test. And so, you know, <laughs> success, success uh, grants, grants permissions for a lot of things. Just kind of went forward from there. Just to ask one more question, follow up on your family, because to be able to flee the genocide that was going on in Cambodia and then, you know, protect their children. How many kids and how proud are you of what they did for you guys? My mom left the, the country uh, of Cambodia back when she was about six or seven years old, and, and she had to um, kickstart her life and, be, and become a lot more mature just to, just to help the, just to the family get by, help the family survive. And she put aside all, a lot of her own dreams and a lot of her own passions to support her family, support her mom, my grandma. Fast forward a few years, I'm the, the oldest of her firstborn. I've got two younger siblings. We're all living a life where we can kind of justify the sacrifices my mom made and we can kind of make my mom proud and pay it forward, you know, and say, hey, look, you put your dreams on hold for us and to give us a better future. So the best we can do is, is to chase chase this dream and chase what we have as hard as we can, as, as, as best we can. Myself, I'm... I'm 28 years old. My younger sister is 27, and the youngest is she is 19. And we're all chasing things in, in different ways. And for me, my dream just happens to be soccer with football. Yeah, so let's find out uh, how it became soccer. How old were you? Where were you? And give us your soccer elevator speech, because uh, I know you spent some time in Houston. What were you doing there? And how did you get back to Boston? Give us the whole thing. Go ahead, Bob. I'll never forget where I was when I first saw soccer. I, I was hanging out outside in my family's driveway, actually playing basketball, and my uncle comes to me and and says, hey, do you want to come watch your cousin's soccer game? And I think I was like four or five at the time. And I said, yeah, sure. You know, I had no idea what soccer was, but I love my cousin, and my uncle was a pretty cool guy, so I went along. I'm too short to see out, out of the window, so all I hear when we, when we pull to a stop is like kind of screaming and whistles, and I see a little bit of green. And I peer out and I open the door and just my eyes start to water. I, I didn't know what it was, this green patch of grass and, and kids on it and a ball running around in the field. But I wanted to do that. And I couldn't, I couldn't verbalize and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't um, express myself. I went home. I was almost crying because I, I couldn't get the words out in time. And next thing you know, I, I, I was playing. I don't know. I started out with this pure love and started out something that I just wanted to keep on doing. And my mom was pretty smart and used soccer as a way to kind of keep me on a straight arrow and said, look, if you don't get good grades, you, you can't, you can't play soccer. 
So that kept me in school. That kept me focused. That kept me driven and determined. And soccer was what got me out of uh, a pretty tough city into a, a community that offered me more opportunities. So because of soccer, I was able to travel to Argentina um, in high school for preseason. Because of soccer, I was able to make some friends across continents and across different languages. I ended up studying abroad. I ended up playing a little bit, I guess you call it amateur, amateur ball in Barcelona during my year abroad in college. And I, it's just something that I, I loved. I never knew where it would take me, but I just knew that I needed a ball at my feet. I needed, I needed to be near the sport. I needed it in any kind of form possible. So if it was Champions League games or if it was watching it on Saturday or watching replays on YouTube or playing FIFA or collecting cards, I, anything, any form of it, I need to play it. After college, I started teaching, and I realized that then and there, teaching is just one form of, of, uh, of coaching. And in fact, I could use soccer as my medium of communication and a medium of um, expressing my, my life values and, and core values. So I, I began coaching as well actually seriously that led me to coach the Boston College men's club team that was my my first actual gig with uh with coaching and I, I dealt with kids young men that were my age at the time so I was I was 21 years old 22 years old and then some of my players were 22 and 21 years old that was a fun challenge to, to take on and it, it stuck you know I, I wasn't successful my first time out we we lost um we lost at the Nationals. Uh, I broke my heart. I remember calling my girlfriend at the time and, and just being absolutely heartbroken and saying I, I failed everybody. I let everybody down. But despite that pain, I, I, I need to keep on going. So bounced around, coached middle school, coached high school, coached some club teams. And uh, an opportunity came up for me to go, go out to Houston and coach a WPSL team out there, and that was fun, and I learned, and I worked under some great staff and some great people out there, and then wrapped up you know, that project, and now I'm on to the next opportunity, which is to pursue a pathway that would allow me to coach and would allow, also allow me to explore things like director of football or technical director of a club, where I can help implement a curriculum and help implement an ethos and philosophy that is focused on or that is prioritizing a player-centric approach to soccer, a holistic approach, an approach that looks at the player's best interest on the field and off the field is something that I want to be a part of. Soccer has given me so many things, and it's changed my life, and honestly, that's what I need to do. I need to give give back to this sport. I need to be an ambassador for the sport, and I need to use this sport to help other kids chase their dreams. And I've always said that if, if I have a player on my team and I'm able to share some life values with this player, but he or she goes on to go pursue his or own his or her own real passion with my values. That's amazing. I mean, if you're if you're going to be a doctor or a police officer or a chef, but you and I share the same life values, I think the world's a better place. And I'm not saying I have all of life life answers, but I do believe in being a good person. I do believe in being a person for others. And I guess my my way of communicating that message is, you know, with a ball. And and some and some boots. I'm young in my career. I'm I'm young in my in my journey, and I I think I intend on being part of this world for a long, long time. So um, I'm excited. I'm excited. I like your passion. You're you're a bleeding heart, just like me. I like that, my man. What about uh, Boston College? What about your decision to get a degree in Hispanic Studies and Executive Leadership Masters? Why those two 
specific degrees? Spanish for me came just came naturally. Uh, I was growing up in Long Beach, California, and a lot of my teammates, a lot of my neighbors were Spanish-speaking. They were from Central America and, and parts of Mexico, and, and we just connected. And I, I always kind of joke, but also have seriously say that my first teacher was Telemundo, and so I watched a lot of Mexican League soccer growing up, and so in class it just came easy to me. I don't know why. I mean, I, I was never a great student, but I don't know why. I, I just love Spanish. So, yeah, I studied abroad in Argentina and, and, and Barcelona, Spain. Um, I'll be honest here. Uh, I lied to my study abroad office and said I wanted to go study the literature in Argentina and the, and the culture and history in Barcelona, but really I was just trying to follow Messi around. So I was able to see him play for Argentina and Barcelona, and I saw him play in that record-breaking year where he dropped, I think, over 50 goals in the season. I believe he broke that record against Atletico Madrid with a free kick that they weren't ready for. And then sometime in Barcelona, I said, oh, man, I, I need a job. What can I do with this degree? And so I taught Spanish. And then the master's idea came out when I started becoming a supervisor and a director for camps and um, different clubs. And I said, well, you know, I can I can definitely coach players, but I think also really interesting is to help coach coaches and help all of us work towards a, a pedagogy that is serving the other servant leadership kind of kind of deal where we can all put ourselves you know behind a, a collective team effort and I think I see myself being I don't know an academy director one day or technical director or a director of sport one day to be an agent of influence an agent of of change and positivity. I like that. I like the also connection. You know, we're we're always connected in some way. I'm looking at your bio here, and my wife went to St. Mark's in Southboro, Mass., and it says here you were a school teacher there for three years. Is that right? That is a very small world, and yes, it is right. I did teach Spanish at St. Mark's for three years. I was I was uh, I was so lucky and so fortunate to work under um, a man named Neil Cifuentes and another man named Jay Eswick. Um, those two were my my first. Uh, ever mentors on the coaching staff and uh, if they're listening on to this podcast shout out to them they're really good dudes but yeah I, I taught there I worked as a teacher I was a dorm parent there and I coached there so that was that was a very cool time to be coach kind of big brother and advisor to some of my players I actually am still in touch with all my advisees um, so wow that's a kind of a scary uh, connection but pretty cool it as well is, yeah yeah, no, I love your background. Um, we've only got a few minutes left, but tell us uh, what made you want to pursue being part of the 30 Under 30 program and what's been the most enjoyable part of it? Two-part question. What led me towards uh, the, app, the app process to 30 Under 30 was, was networking. Um, I think the sum is greater than the whole, I think, together with the network of other coaches. I can become a better coach um, just by being around Similar and different minds. I I like being a part of, you know, some some pretty elite groups, and I like being part of groups or coaches that I think are better than me. I I think when I went to that event, I I saw 29 coaches better than me, and I was blessed to to learn from them, as best to talk to them, and you know I'm still learning. We've got some pretty cool people on that on that class who started a WhatsApp group. So we're still all still in touch, and even if it's just like a simple good luck to the, the fall the fall season was amazing to get from some of the classmates. Being reinvigorated, being re-energized by the passion and by the the dreams that that they all have as well. They being my classmates, you know, seeing how hungry they are, seeing how passionate and driven they are 
to chase their own pathway was like, wow, okay, cool. Like, you know, I am a part of a pretty cool group of, of, of people, guys and girls that believe in themselves, believe in, believe in helping others and believe in the sport. End of the day, like this round ball brought us all together from different parts of the country and we're all sharing the same, the same passion, the same love. I mean, uh, I don't know if many people know about this, but we were given, uh, like about a half hour to try on some cleats, uh, by Adidas. And so all of us were, were hanging out trying on these like nice, you know, pretty sweet pair of boots and we all turned into kids. <laughs> we, everybody's out there kind of a serious and like pretty professional coach, uh, persona. And the next thing you know, you give us a ball and, and a pair of boots and we all just turned into our five year old selves, our 10 year old selves just shooting on goal. And that was cool to, to see that, that childish passion, uh, manifest itself in, in a professional career. Bob Long, great story and still got a long way to go as he writes this story. That's going to do it for this week's edition of United Soccer Coaches Podcast. I want to thank all of our guests as well as Sean Chevrolet, Michael Sniffer from United Soccer Coaches. I'm Dean Linky. See you same time, same channel next week for another edition of United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by 